0: Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Welcome to Vintage Church. My name is Dustin Turner. If I've never met you, I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. And just let me give a quick shout-out to John Llewellyn. Let me tell you, one of the most difficult things about communicating truth is finding clear illustrations that communicate that truth. And uh, I don't know if it hit all of you. It doesn't always connect with everyone, but I have a feeling you might have connected with a few people, John. So congratulations. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Ephesians. If you're new to the Bible, that is towards the back of your book. That is a letter that Paul wrote to a young church that is in now modern-day Turkey. If you don't have a Bible, lift up your hand. Our Connect team would love to get you a copy of God's Word as our gift from us to you. Over the last six weeks, we've been in this series that we've called Changes, and we've been looking at how we actually change We're in a new year, believe it or not. We are in the month of February as a reminder. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day for anybody that needs that reminder. But we're in a new year, and with every new year, there's things that we're thinking about how we want to tweak, what we want to change, how we want to grow. And what we've been looking at over the last six weeks is like, what does it look like to truly have and provide lasting change? What does that look like for you and I? I want to encourage you, if you're new or you're looking for the resources that we've been talking about, whether it's sermon notes or our sermons, V-Group study, anything, book resources, there's a link that's going to be on the screen there. You can find everything at that link, okay? including the book that I've recommended over and over and over again, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. But here's where we've been. Week one was really kind of setting the stage. Romans chapter 12, and we asked the question, what are you waiting for? If you want to change, you got to start somewhere. So start, right? Week two, don't believe the hype. What's the reason why we need to change? And we talked about our sin issue. Week three, see the whole picture. God doesn't just want to change one part of us. He wants to change all of us. Week four, it's all about who you know. That if you truly want to change, the only way that you and I are going to change is if we are united with Jesus and allow Jesus to transform us from the inside out. And then last week, we talked about being the change, kind of part two of it's all about who you know, that yes, Jesus changes us, but God gives us spiritual habits that we have to perform to begin to work change within us. And today, what we're talking about as we conclude this series is this title, Like New. Now, for me, one of my qualities, one of my character traits that I'm rather proud of is my frugality. Some people might not call it frugality. They might call it being cheap, right? Whatever you want to call it. I consider myself a frugal person. I try to save wherever I can. One of the ways in which I do that is if I'm buying something on Amazon, in particular a book, and I'm looking, and it's like an outrageous book, and I'm just like, man, I really want this book, but I don't want to pay that price. I go and I look at all the used copies, right? And there's this incredible thing on Amazon when you can find a book that's like half the price of a brand new book, and it's what? Like new. And I'm like, especially if that book is on Prime, that book is mine, right? It's Prime, I'm gonna get it in two days, and it's like new. I mean, the pages aren't bent, you might even open it up and the, the, the book still cracks and you can smell that book, smell, right? I mean, it's mine. And I celebrate that because I'm like, not only am I getting what I want, I'm getting it fast and I'm saving money. When we think about change, Many of us are probably settling for, hey, if Jesus can change me and make me like new, that's good enough. But what I want you to see today is that Jesus doesn't want to change you like new. He wants to make you brand new. He wants to change you completely. So let's look at what the Apostle Paul has to say in Ephesians 2. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the big idea today. When you are changed by Jesus, you become new. Not like new, you become new with new thoughts, new desires, and new actions. Everybody say new. When you are changed by Jesus, you become new with new thoughts, new desires, and new actions. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, here's what Paul says says he says now this i say and testify in the lord that you must no longer walk as the gentiles do in the futility of their minds they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart they have become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity but that is not the way you learned christ Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As to sum it all up, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're called to be new. So if God is going to change us, what are we being changed into? We are changed, number one, when we stop living the old way when we stop living the old way. I want to go back and I want to read verses 17 through 19 just to reiterate what Paul says here. He says, Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the what? Everybody say it. Ignorance that is in them due to their what? Hardness of heart they have become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity so what is the old way Paul says don't go back to the old way, and the way that he describes the old way is to walk as the Gentiles do. Now here's the problem for you and I. I guarantee you that almost every single one of us in this room are Gentiles according to the Bible, right? Most of us do not come from Jewish background. We are non-Jews, and therefore the way the Bible describes us is we are Gentiles, But Paul's not necessarily getting at our ethnicity. What he's getting at is the way that we live our lives. So he's writing in the book of Ephesus to primarily a Jewish Christian audience, people who were born Jewish, who followed Jewish law, who came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And part of what he's getting at there is he's saying, listen, look at the Gentiles who know nothing of God and who do not follow God. They are living according to their ways, which is contrary to God. And he says, you don't want to live like that. That's not the way in which we are to live. By the way, just go back and look at week two. Don't believe the hype. That's what we talked about. That this is the thing that we're supposed to be walking away from, fleeing From What did we say in week two? What is our problem? I summarized for you John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies, that the thing we're trying to get away from is number one, the devil's deceptive ideas. That from the very beginning, the way in which Satan gets into our lives is he begins with lies. And if you don't believe that, just go read Genesis chapter 3 where Satan tempts Eve and lies to her. And if you don't believe that, go and look at every single one of the Gospels, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and look at how Satan tries to deceive Jesus. It begins with deception. Then we said that deception leads to the flesh's disordered desires. Where when we begin to believe the lies, we then begin to say, well, if I feel this way, it must be right. And Jesus would tell us, no, 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 just because you feel a certain way doesn't make it right. And all of that, the lies and the desires, lead to the world's normalized sins. And that is exactly what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter 4. The way of the Gentiles is the world's normalized sins. When you look around and you say, well, everybody else is doing it like this, therefore it must be right. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. Just because the majority of the people around you live their lives like this, it doesn't mean that it's right. And I want you to see in this passage, it's incredible to me, the words and the thought process that Paul strings together. It's this old way progression. It's, it, it ends with a hardened, or be, I'm sorry, it begins with a hardness of heart. They have a hard heart toward God, and then it leads to ignorance, that if your, if your heart is hard against God, and by the way, we saw a lot of that in the book of Exodus as we've studied the book of Exodus with, with Pharaoh. It begins with a hardness of heart that leads to an ignorance where you don't believe or you don't know certain things about God. And when you're ignorant of God, what does it do? It alienates you from the life of God. And by the way, if you're alienated from the life of God, you don't have the life of God in you. And life comes from whom? God. So we're alienated from from God which leads to darkened reason where we're not really thinking straight we're be- we're believing the devil's deceptive ideas and then ultimately we have a futility of mind which is like a uselessness and then that just starts all over again all of this starts with what the two things that i said at the very beginning a hardness of heart and in ignorance. The way that I describe it's like this. I know what's best for me more than God knows what's best for me. So what ends up happening is it's like this. We're walking around in a dark room thinking we know exactly where everything else is in the dark room. No, no, no. I know where the light switch is. You don't have to tell me that. No, no, no. I know where that stool is. I'm not going to stub my foot. No, no, no. I know where this is or where that is. And all along, because we're heart of heart, and because we're ignorant, it's leading us down this path to say, regardless of what everybody else says, regardless of what our Creator says, regardless of what is happening to me, I know better than God knows. That's what Paul is getting at here. And then he gets to the outcome of this, and I want you to follow again Paul's Uh, Paul's logic of argument, he says, first it begins with sensuality. Now, we don't use these words all the time, right? And they have kind of multiple meanings in the English language. But sensuality in the ancient world, the way that Paul is using this word, is you throw off the restraints. What he's getting at is when you throw off the restraints, there's what? There's no limits. So no longer do you have something kind of holding you back. It's like, what do you want to do? Let's do it, right? I mean, it's like me in the kitchen. What do you want to eat? Forget it. Let's eat it, right? Dangerous, right? Danger, very dangerous. Paul is saying, you can't live your life like that. If you follow the old way progression that begins with hardness of heart and ignorance and leads to futility of mind, what you begin to do is you begin to live with no restraint, which then leads you to impurity, which is unrestrained living. So Paul is saying, listen, it starts by just taking one restraint off. That's sensuality. But as you take the one restraint off, you then begin to live in purity, where it's like, listen, there are no longer any restraints at all. Live how you want to. Live it up. Which leads then to lust, where there is this insatiable desire for more. If there are no restraints and you can have whatever you want, then you go after whatever you want, right? I mean, I try my best not to keep a king cake in my house because I struggle with restraint and I want the king cake. Even if I don't like the king cake, we bought a king cake. I know some of you are going to judge me. We bought a king cake this weekend. My wife wanted it real bad. It's a king cake with Nutella inside. And here's my problem: the 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 icing and Nutella just don't mix well for me. Right? I'm not a big fan of this king cake. I've already ate like half of it. (laughs) Why? No restraint. Now we we laugh at that, and by the way, that's important. That matters. Pastor Dussler's trying to lose weight. He's trying to be healthy. But many of us are following paths to destruction. When you take off the limits and you begin to live an unrestrained life, the insatiable desires will eat you alive. And Paul says, this is not the way to live. I want to remind you again, I know I've This is probably the 100th quote of John Mark Comer, but listen to the way that he defines world. And I want to highlight just two things that he says at the end. He says this, this is the world. When the the Bible describes the world as this system, it's this, a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and institutionalized in a culture corrupted by this. Here's what I want you to get. This is what I think Paul is getting at the twin sins of rebellion against God and a redefinition of good and evil the reason Paul says that if you are in Jesus if you've been changed by Jesus you can no longer live according to the old self is because this is what the old self is about the old self is about listen I don't care what God wants for me in fact I would prefer to redefine what God thinks is good and evil. You can't say that you've been changed and then put on the new or the old self. If you've been changed, you've taken the old self off. Don't put it back on. That's what Paul is getting at. That change leads to this. But the only way for us to stop living the old way is, number two, we have to become new. When we are changed, we become new. Look at what Paul says in verses 20 through 24. He's told them, this is the old way, right? But then he gives this distinction. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, He's saying, that is the old way, that's the old self, but that's not you. Vintage Church, my prayer is that we could say the same thing about us. That's the old way, but that's not us. That's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To do what? What did we just talk about? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be what? Sound familiar? Romans chapter 12, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then to do what? To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, we already talked about it. What is Paul assuming here? Paul is assuming that everybody that he's writing this letter to, this church at Ephesus, had experienced Jesus that they had learned Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing. That word learn in the Greek language, it's the same word that we use for disciple. So I think what Paul is getting at is he's saying, listen, that's not you because you are a learner, you are a disciple, you are a follower of Jesus. You have sat at the feet of Jesus to learn from him, to grow from him. You've accepted what he gives you. Because you've heard about him. You've experienced evangelism. Someone told you the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came to earth, put on flesh, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, died on the cross, rose from the grave. You've repented of your sins. There's a moment when you recognize, listen, this was the old me. This was the old self. I'm taking it off and I'm trusting Jesus, the life, death, resurrection of Christ on the cross to save me, and I'm publicly confessing that salvation through baptism. Paul's saying, listen, you've done all of that. He's reminding them, you can't change yourself. Week four, that's what we talked about. You can't take off the old self by yourself. You have to be united with Jesus. You have to experience His grace. He's understanding it's understood that they were not only that they not only followed jesus but that they were taught him there was a moment of discipleship and growth so there's a part where paul is saying listen you know all of these things i'm telling you something that you already know but he's reminding them of how they become new how do we become new we put off the old self now here's the thing there's a supernatural element to that where only jesus can take off our old self hear me out, you cannot change yourself. Right? Let's say it together. I cannot change me. One more time. I cannot change me. Only Jesus can do that. You have a responsibility, but only Jesus can put off the old self. But here's the challenge for you and I, on this side of eternity, until Jesus returns or you die, one of the other, you are going to be wrestling with putting the old self back on. It's, it's exhausting, is it not? But it's a reality, that you have the new self on and you're wrestling with taking the old self off and keeping it off. It's like, it's like getting an organ transplant, when you get an organ transplant, I mean, that's a brand new organ. You have a heart transplant, you take out the old heart, you put in the new heart. But if you've ever met someone or you yourself have an organ transplant, it's a lot of work to keep the organ going. My, my grandfather had a kidney transplant, and like the one time that I stayed with him, I was amazed at like the pills he had to take to keep the organ from, being re- from his body rejecting the organ, It's the same way for you and I. Jesus has taken our old heart out and put a new heart in. But there is some work on our end to make sure that our new self keeps rejecting the old self. We have to put off that old self daily. The Puritan uh, John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You have to put off the old self. But then you have to renew your mind. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We talked about that in week one. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to what Dane Ortland says in his book, Deeper. He says, you will grow in Christ as you direct your gaze to Christ. If you take your eyes off of Jesus Christ and direct your gaze to your own growth, you will prevent the very growth you desire. How many of us, and I'm probably guilty of teaching you this, have said, look, here's where you're at, here's where you want to go. Look at the distance between the two and do something about it. I think part of what Dane is getting at and part of what Paul is getting at as we renew our minds is keeping our minds on Jesus. And guess what? As we keep our minds on Jesus, as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our minds, here's what happens that gap of growth that we actually need, the Holy Spirit actually grows us because we fixed our eyes on who matters most, Jesus. So we put off our old self, we renew our minds. Part of that spiritual renewal is keeping the gospel implanted in us. If If you're new, check out last week's sermon where we talked about implanting the gospel. And then lastly, we put on the new self. Now again, this is a supernatural work that Jesus does in us, that he takes the old self off, he puts the new self on, but it is a daily task of us doing what we talked about last week, implanting the gospel in us, that we're, we're feeding the gospel, we're feeding ourselves more of the gospel and less of the junk, so we're becoming more like Jesus, so that old, that, that old self isn't coming back and our, our new self isn't being rejected. And look at what Paul says. Like, what's the, what's the, what are we looking to? Like, when we put on the new self, what is happening? We put on that new self that's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That that new self, that's who we are becoming. And by the way, who was the exact likeness of God? Jesus. So part of what Paul is getting at is, listen, as you put on that new self and you're growing in that new self, as you grow in that new self, you are becoming more and more like God. And if you're struggling to wrap your mind around who God is and what God looks like, look to your Savior because then you will know what holiness and righteousness and you will know what it looks like to be changed you have to put on the new self I love this idea that I think we have to wrap our minds around is we are to become what we are in Christ you know, it's the it's the combination of understanding our justification that in the moment of salvation we are declared righteous, and we are given every single gift we need to be changed. That's what we talked about in week four, being united with Christ. That when we are united with Jesus, everything we need for life and holiness is given to us. But you and I, we've just acknowledged the reality that it's really hard to change. It's difficult to keep the old self off and keep growing in the new self, but I want to encourage you that in that difficulty, don't forget that you have everything you need in Jesus to become who Jesus wants you to become. Everything. You don't have to, like, go rummage around in your spiritual growth closet, man, if I just had that tool, that tool would help me. Now, Paul is saying, listen, you have everything you need because you have Jesus. If you want to change and you want to grow, you have to have Jesus. And when you have Jesus, trust that he has everything you need to be able to grow. So we're talking about change. We're talking about how Jesus changes us. We're talking about we put off the old self, we put on the new self, we're changed. But if we're changed, there must be fruit. And so we are changed when we continue to live the new way in verses 25 through the very beginning of chapter 5, in fact, actually, you could actually say, we could just keep reading the book of Ephesians. And everything that Paul has said up to this moment, he's saying, listen, here's the spiritual reality. Here's what Jesus has done. He's put off the old self, you've been changed, you're putting on the new self. And then for the rest of the book of Ephesians, what Paul is getting at is like, here's what it looks like to live with the new self. Now, we're just going to read a portion of it, but if you go and you read the rest of chapter 5, he's going to say, listen, here's what it's like to be a Christian in your home. Then he's going to get to spiritual warfare, and he's going to say, listen, even though you've put on this new self, you're still going to deal with the enemy. Here's what it's like to deal with the enemy. That's the whole armor of God discussion. Look at what he says in verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, put it off the old self what are we to do? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we are members one of another. Number two, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What? Number three, let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Number four, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Number five, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Number six, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Number seven, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Number eight, therefore be what? All of this, you want to summarize what Paul is telling us to do. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. What is the new way? Just to summarize, Paul says these things. We need to speak the truth. If we have put on the new self, do you know what that means? It means we don't lie. We speak the truth. You know why we speak the truth? You know, I tell my kids this all the time. You know why we don't lie? Because God is truth. So lying is contrary to the very person and nature of God. So we tell the truth. Paul says, if you want to live out the new way, speak the truth. Number two, don't sin in anger. It's not wrong to get angry. But do you hear what Paul says? He says, the challenge with anger is you can give the devil a foothold. Anybody? Amen? You get so (laughs) angry that you fly off the rails. Paul says, listen, you can be angry, but do not sin. I would just say it's probably better for us not to be angry, right? (laughs) No sinning in anger. Then he says, generosity rather than theft. Some of you have been stealing from other people. Rather, you need to work a good, honest job, make a living, and then be generous with the people who are in need. He says, that's what the new life looks like. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. Paul says, use edifying words. He says, our lives should be characterized by kindness. The word he uses there, tenderhearted. I mean, how many people can you look at right now and say, they're the most tenderhearted person I know? Honestly, I think about that word and I think, man, most of us think that's a weakness, Paul says the way of the new life, the way of living for Jesus putting on the new self is you need to be tender hearted. AKA not a jerk. And you're tender hearted when you do what? You forgive. You don't hold a grudge. If someone's offended you, you forgive them. You seek reconciliation. And then he summarizes all of this, say listen, you want to know what it's like to live with the new self, to live this new life. You have to live out sacrificial love. Why? Who are we to be like? His name is Jesus. And what was the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated? It was sacrificial love. Now, here's the incredible thing to me about what Paul is saying. You know, it's like that when something is old, and it's like old school, but then it becomes cool, so then it's like new school. You know what I'm talking about? Paul's not saying anything new. He's not like rewriting the book. In fact, Jesus really didn't rewrite the book all that much. He, I mean, they asked him, Jesus, what is, what's the greatest commandment? Like, how do I live for God? And he says, love God, love people. And if you look in the back half, the last six, ten commandments, a, a Exodus chapter 20, listen to what God tells the people of Israel. He says, number one, honor your father and your mother, that your, may, your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you verse 13, commandment number, what is that, five, you shall not murder. Commandment six, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment seven, you shall not steal. Commandment eight, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Commandment number nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Or that's actually uh, commandment number 10. I lost count there somewhere along the way. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that's your neighbor's. Take what is said in the Ten Commandments and tell me that's not what Paul just told these Christians to live out. The difference is that now you and I, we can live these commandments out because we're being changed into the image of Jesus and we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us do it. That's why Paul says what in Ephesians chapter five, verse one, "Be imitators of God." Next week, we're going to start a brand new series in the Beatitudes, and in the Beatitudes, Jesus is uh, preaching his Sermon on the Mount. And one of the phrases that always sticks with me in the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter five, verse 48. "You therefore must be what, everybody say it? Perfect." as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that should like, that should sit with you. Because you're like, I'm pretty certain on this side of eternity, I'm not going to get there yet. And you're right. You're not. But Jesus tells us this is what we're working toward. And there is this reality this word perfect it, it doesn't necessarily mean what it means in English it's just kind of the best way to translate it I mean another way to think about this is integrity right the reason that God is perfect is because he has integrity now, what I mean by that the word integrity really gets at this idea is like if you say you are this then you do this Your inside, your heart, your motives, your intentions match up with your actions. The reason our Heavenly Father is perfect is because He's holy. Because He has complete integrity. Who He says He is, He actually lives out. There's never any wavering. There's never any looking and saying, man, I wonder if God's going to do that or not. No, if God is this, then He will do this. And for you and I, that's what God is calling us to. This is what it looks like to be changed. That when Jesus changes us, here's what happens. He gives us holiness and he gives us wholeness. Because here's the thing about holiness. We can't be holy until we're whole. But what Jesus does is he comes into us and he changes us from the inside out. Week three, see the whole picture. He changes our thoughts. He changes our feelings. He changes how we use our bodies. He changes our context. He changes our will. He changes our choices. And he makes us whole. And as we're being made whole, whole, here's what happens Our actions begin to be holy. And the reason our actions are holy is because there's integrity. Our actions are holy because we are whole. You see how these things work together? And that's what Paul is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. That when you become whole, you become holy. And as you become holy, you become whole. Jesus wants to change each and every one of us. We have to trust him. We have to trust that like when we think about wholeness, it's actually the best thing for us. Because for many of us, we're just really wrestling with whether or not God's actually all that good to begin with. It's like, I don't know, God. Like, I really don't like this. And I get that. I look around our world and I'm like, what in the is happening? Right? And then I look at my own life and I'm like, man, I don't like that at all. But I have to reflect back and I have to remember that God is in control. And God knows what's best. So, what He's trying to do in my life is He's trying to make me whole that I will become holy. He wants to change you. But change is going to take time, change is going to take trust, change is going to take obedience. Take you back to week one and simply ask you, what are you waiting for? If you know you need to change or you know there's a part of you that needs to change, what are you waiting for? Let Jesus change you. Let's pray. Father, we love you we thank you that you love us, God. We thank you that you have made a way by sending your son Jesus for us to experience change. I simply pray, God, that you would help us to take that next step. now as we respond to you. We love you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.